0: section 24 of bismarck and the foundation of the german empire by james hedelum this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by ss kim seoul south korea chapter 14 the war with france and foundation of the empire from 1870 to 1871 part two the negotiations with the provisional government were more than once renewed. Soon after the investiture of Paris had begun, General Burnside and another American passed as unofficial messengers between the French and German governments, and at the beginning of November Tier came as the official agent of the government in Tours. These attempts were, however, always without result the French would not accept an amistice on the only conditions which Bismarck was authorized by the king and the military authorities to offer. During the rest of the year, there was little direct communication with the French authorities. Bismarck, however, was not idle. In his quarters at Versailles, he had with him many of the foreign office staff, he had not only to conduct important diplomatic negotiations but also to maintain control over the nation to keep in touch with the press to communicate to the newspapers both events and comments on them at this crisis he could not leave public opinion without proper direction he had to combat the misstatements of the french who had long had the ear of europe and were still carrying their grievances to the courts of the neutral powers and found often eager advocates in the press of the neutral countries he had to check the proposal of the neutral powers to interfere between the two combatants to inform the german public of the demands that were to be made on france and the proposals for the unity of the country and to justify the policy of the government all this was done not only by official notes but by articles written at his dictation or under his instruction and by information or suggestions conveyed by his secretaries to his newspapers in old days the prussian government had been inarticulate it had never been able to defend itself against the attacks of foreign critics. It had suffered much by misrepresentation. It had lost popularity at home and prestige abroad. In the former struggles with France, the voice of Germany had scarcely been heard. Europe, which was accustomed to listen to every whisper from Paris, ignored the feelings and the just grievances of Germany. Bismarck changed all this. Now he saw to it that the policy of the government should be explained and defended in Germany itself. For though he despised public opinion when it claimed to be the canon by which the government should be directed, he never neglected this as he never neglected any means by which the government might be strengthened. Speaking now from Versailles, he could be confident that europe would listen to what germany said and it was no small benefit to his nation that it had as its spokesman a man whose character and abilities ensured that no word that he uttered would be neglected the neutral powers really gave him little concern there was no intention of supporting france either in england russia or austria he showed great activity however in defending the germans from the charges so freely made against them by the french press of conducting the war in a cruel manner charges which were untrue for according to the unanimous testimony of foreign observers who accompanied the army the moderation of the german soldiers was as remarkable as their successes Bismarck was not content with rebutting unjust accusations. He carried on the war into the enemy's camp. He was especially indignant at the misuse made by the French of irregular troops. He often maintained that the German soldiers ought never to imprison the Frank terror but shoot them at once. He feared that if civilians were encouraged to take part in the war it would necessarily assume a very cruel character at More he came upon a number of frank Tiro who had been taken prisoners you are assassins gentlemen he said to them you will all be hung and indeed these men who fired secretly on the german troops from behind hatches and in forests and had no kind of uniform could not claim to be treated as prisoners of war when the bombardment of paris began he took great pains to defend the measure which was much attacked in other countries he had used all his influence that the bombardment should not be delayed and often spoke with great annoyance of the reluctance of the military authorities to begin he wished every measure to be taken which would bring the war to an end as soon as possible the long delay before paris seems to have affected his nerves and spirits. There were many anxious hours, and it was always difficult for him to wait patiently, the result of what others were doing. The military authorities were, as always, very jealous of all attempts by him to interfere in their department, and he was not always satisfied with their decisions. Like all the Germans. He was surprised and angry at the unexpected resistance of Paris and the success of Gambetta's appeal to the nation. He was especially indignant at the help which Garibaldi gave. This, he said, is the gratitude of the Italians. He declared that he would have the general taken prisoner and paraded through the streets of Berlin. During the long weeks at Versailles, bismarck was much occupied with german affairs the victory of sedan was the foundation of german unity bismarck's moderation and reserve now earned its reward he had always refused to press the southern states into the federation now the offer to join came from them baden asked as she already done at the beginning of the year to be received into the union the settlement with Württemberg and above all with Bavaria was less simple. At the request of the Bavarian government, Delbrich was sent to Munich for an interchange of opinion, and the negotiations which were begun there were afterwards continued at Versailles and Berlin. There were many difficulties to be overcome. The Bavarians were very jealous of their independence and were not prepared to put themselves into the position which, for instance, Saxony occupied. But the difficulties on the Prussian side were equally great. The Liberal Party wished that the constitution should be revised and those points in it which they had always disliked altered. They would have made the government of the federal authorities more direct have created a federal ministry and a federal upper house and so really changed the federation into a simple state thereby taking away all the independence of the dynasties it was quite certain that bavaria would not accept this and there was some considerable danger that their exaggerated demands might lead to a reaction in south germany probably under any circumstances the unification of Germany would have been completed, but it required all Bismarck's tact to prevent outbreak of a regular party struggle. The most extreme line was taken by the Crown Prince of Prussia. He desired the immediate creation of an emperor who should have sovereign authority over the whole of the over the whole of over the whole of Germany, and he even went so far as to suggest that if the Bavarians would not accept this voluntarily, they might be compelled to do so. He had repeated conversation with Bismarck on this, and on one occasion at least it ended in an angry scene. The Crown Prince wished to threaten the South Germans. There is no danger, he said, let us take a firm and commanding attitude you will see i was right in maintaining that you are not nearly sufficiently conscious of your own power it is almost incredible that he should have used such language but the evidence is conclusive he was at this time commanding the bavarian troops against the french bavaria had with great loyalty supported prussia through the war and performed very valuable services and now he proposed to reward their friendship by compelling them to accept terms by which the independence of the king and the very existence of the state would be endangered the last request which the king of bavaria had sent to the crown prince as he left munich to take command of the bavarian army was that nothing might be done to interfere with bavarian independence of course Bismarck refused to listen to these suggestions. Had he done so, the probable result would have been that the Bavarian army would have been withdrawn from France, and then all the result of the victories would have been lost. What Bismarck did was in accordance with his usual practice to make no greater alteration in existing institutions than was absolutely necessary he did not therefore undertake any reform of the federal constitution but simply proposed treaties by which the southern states each separately entered into the existing alliance certain special conditions were allowed the king of bavaria was to maintain the command over his troops in time of peace a voice was given to bavaria in the management of foreign affairs she retained her own post and telegraph, and there were certain special privileges with regard to finance to meet the system of taxation on beer. And then the Prussian military court was not to apply to Bavaria, and Bavaria was to retain her own special laws with regard to marriage and citizenship. These concessions were undoubtedly very considerable. But Bismarck granted them for, as he said to the Bavarian envoys, we do not want a discontented Bavaria, we want one which will join us freely. The liberal publicists in Germany, with characteristic intolerance, complained that when they hoped to see the constitution made simpler and the central government stronger, it had really become more federal they did not see that this federalism was merely the expression of existing facts which could not be ignored they prophesied all kinds of difficulties which have not been fulfilled for they forgot that harmonious working in an alliance voluntarily made would be a firmer bond of union than the most stringent articles of treaties which were looked on as an unjust burden bismarck's own words spoken the evening after the agreements were signed give the true account of the matter the newspapers will not be satisfied the historian may very likely condemn our conventions he may say the stupid fellow might easily have asked for more he would have got it they would have had to give it him his might was his right i was more anxious that these people should go away heartily satisfied. What is the use of treaties when men are forced to sign? I know that they went away satisfied. I do not wish to press them or to take full advantage of the situation. The convention has its defects but it is all the stronger on account of them. He could afford now to be generous because in 1866 he had been so stern. He had refused to take in Bavaria when it would have weakened the Association of the North. Now that the nucleus had been formed, he could allow the Catholic South greater freedom. He was right. The concession granted to Bavaria have not been in any way a danger to the Empire. As soon as he had signed the convention, he looked into the room where his secretaries were and said, The work is done. The unity of Germany is completed, and with it Kaiser and Reich. Up to this time, he had taken no open steps towards the proclamation of the empire. But it was unanimously demanded by almost the whole nation, and especially by the South Germans but here he kept himself in the background he refused to make it appear as though he were to make the emperor or found the empire he allowed the natural wish of the people to work itself out spontaneously there was indeed some reluctance to assume the title at the prussian court the king himself was not anxious for a new dignity which would obscure the title which he and his ancestors had made so honorable this feeling was shared by many of the nobility and the officers we find it strongest in horn who in this represents the genuine feeling of the older prussian nobility they disliked the change which must mean that the prussia to which they were so devotedly attached was to become merged in a greater germany there was also some apprehension that with the new title the old traditions of the prussian court traditions of economy almost of parsimony might be forgotten and that a new career might begin in which they would attempt to imitate the extravagance and pomp of less prudent sovereigns with this perhaps bismarck himself had some sympathy the king would of course only assume the new title if it was offered to him by his fellow princes there was some danger lest the reichistag which had been summoned to ratify the treaties might ask him to assume it before the princes did had they done so he would probably have refused the crown prince who was very eager for the new title and the grand duke of baden used all their influence with their fellow princes. The initiative must come from the king of Bavaria. He was in difficulty as to the form in which the offer should be made. Bismarck, who throughout the whole negotiations worked behind the scenes, smoothing away difficulties, thereupon drafted a letter which he sent by special messenger to the king of Bavaria. The king at once adopted it, copied it out and signed it, and at the same time wrote another letter to the other princes, asking them to join in the request which he had made to the king of Prussia to assume the title of emperor, which had been in abeyance for over sixty years. So it came about that the letter by which the offer to the king was made had really Emanated from his own chancellor, it shows to what good purpose Bismarck used the confidence which, by his conduct in the previous negotiations, the King of Bavaria had been led to place in him. On the eighteenth of January, eighteen seventy-one, in the Palace of Versailles, the King publicly assumed the new title. A few days later, Bismarck was raised to the rank of Prince. A few days later, Paris fell. The prolonged siege was over, and the power of resistance exhausted. Then again, as three months before, Favre asked for an audience, this time to negotiate the capitulation of the city. We did not here dwell on the terms of the capitulation. We need only quote what Favre himself says of Bismarck's attitude i should be unfaithful to truth if i did not recognize that in these mournful discussions i always found the chancellor eager to soften in form the cruelty of his requirements he applied himself as much as was possible to temper the military harshness of the general staff and on many points he consented to make himself the advocates of our demands a few weeks were allowed for elections to be held and an assembly to meet at bordeaux and then once more monsieur thiers appeared to negotiate the terms of peace he knew that the demands would be very heavy he anticipated that they would be asked to surrender alsace including belfort and of lorraine at least the department of the moselle with metz he expected a large war indemnity 5,000 million francs. The terms Bismarck had offered were almost identical with this, except that the indemnity was placed at 6,000 million francs. The part Thiers had to play was a very difficult one. He knew that if Germany insisted on her full demands, he must accept. He was too experienced a politician to be misled by any of the illusions under which had labored he as all other frenchmen had during the last three months learned a bitter lesson had we made peace he said before the fall of metz we might at least have saved lorraine he hoped against hope that he might still be able to do so with all the resources of his intellect and his eloquence he tried to break down the opposition of the count when Metz was refused to him, then he pleaded for Belfort. Let us hear what Favre, who was present at the decisive interview, tells us. We may use his authority with more confidence than he was a silent and passive auditor. One must have been present at this pathetic scene to have an idea of the superhuman resources which the illustrious statesman displayed. I still see him pale agitated now sitting now springing to his feet i hear his voice broken by grief his words cut short his tones in turn suppliant and proud i know nothing grander than the sublime passion of this noble heart bursting out in petitions menaces prayers now caressing now terrible growing by degrees more angry in face of this cruel refusal ready for the last extremities impervious to the counsel of reason so violent and sacred were the sentiments by which he was governed bismarck remained obdurate he would surrender neither metz nor Belfort. then Thiers cried out well let it be as you will these negotiations are a pretense we appear to deliberate we have only to pass under your yoke we ask for a city absolutely french you refuse it to us it is to avow that you have resolved to wage against us a war of extremity do it ravish our provinces burn our houses cut the throats of their unoffending inhabitants in a word complete your work we will fight to the last breath we will succumb at last but we will not be dishonored it was a burst of passion all the more admirable that thiers knew his threats were vain but it was not ineffective bismarck was troubled he said he understood what they suffered he would be glad to make a concession but he added i can promise nothing the king has commanded me to maintain the conditions he alone has the right to modify them. I will take his orders. I must consult with Monsieur de Morte. It was nearly an hour before he could find Moltke, then he returned to give the answer to the Frenchman. You had refused that we should enter Paris. If you will agree that the German troops occupy Paris, then Belfort shall be restored to you. There could be no doubt as to the answer and some hours later, the assent of the king was given to this alteration in the conditions. Before this, the indemnity had been reduced to 5,000 million francs. Below that, all the efforts of the French were not able to bring it. There were many other exciting scenes during the progress of the negotiations. On one occasion, Thiers threatened Bismarck with interposition of the neutral powers if you speak to me of europe i'll speak of the emperor was bismarck's answer he threatened to open negotiations with him and to send him back to france at the head of bazen's army on another occasion it was during the discussion of finance another scene took place which Favre describes as the discussion continued he grew animated he interrupted Tier at every word accused him of wishing to spoil everything. He said that he was ill at the end of his powers. He was incapable of going further in a work that we were pleased to make of no use. Then, allowing his feelings to break out, walking up and down the little room in which we were deliberating with great strides, he cried, It is very kind of me to take the trouble to which you condemn me. Our conditions are ultimatums. You must accept or reject them. I will not take part in it any longer. Bring an interpreter tomorrow. Henceforward, I will not speak French any longer. And he began forthwith to talk German at a great rate, a language which, of course, neither of the Frenchmen understood. It is interesting to compare with this. Bismarck's own account of the same scene. When I addressed a definite demand to Thiers, although he generally could command himself, he sprang up and cried, Masse un- I took no notice but began to talk German. For a time he listened but obviously did not know what to think of it. Then in a plaintive voice he said, But Count, you know that i do not understand german i answered him now in french when just now you spoke of andinite, i found that i did not understand french enough and preferred to speak german here i know what i say and hear he understood what i meant and at once agreed to that which he had just refused as an andinite bismarck's part in these negotiations were not altogether an easy one for it is probable that in part at least he secretly sympathized with the arguments and protests of the french he was far too loyal to his master and his country not to defend and adopt the policy which had been accepted but there is much reason to believe that had he been completely master Germany would not have insisted on having metz, but would have made the demand only to withdraw it. The arguments for the annexation of Alsace were indeed unanswerable, and again and again, Bismarck had pointed out that Germany could never be safe so long as France held Strasbourg, and the French army supported on the strong basis of the Volge could use Strasbourg as a gate whence to sally forth into Germany. No one, indeed, who has ever stood on the slopes of the Black Forest and looked across the magnificent valley, sheltered by the hills on either side, through which the Rhine flows, can doubt that this is all one country and that the frontier must be sought not in the river, which is not a separation, but a cheap means of communication but on the top of the hills on the further side. Every argument, however, which is used to support German claims to Strasbourg may be used with equal force to support French claims to Metz. If Strasbourg in French hands is the gate of Germany, Metz in German hands is and always will remain a military post on the soil of France no one who reads bismarck's argument on this point can fail to notice how they are all nearly conclusive as to Strasbourg, but that he scarcely takes the trouble to make it even appear as though they applied to metz even in the speech before the reichstag in which he explains and justifies the terms of peace he speaks again and again of Strasbourg, but hardly a word of metz he told how fourteen years before the old king of Württemberg had said to him at the time of the crimean trouble that prussia might count on his voice in the diet as against the western powers but only till war broke out then the matter takes another form i am determined as well as any other to maintain the engagement i have entered into but do not judge me unjustly Give us Strasbourg and we shall be ready for all eventualities. But so long as Strasbourg is a celly port for a power which is always armed, I must fear that my country will be overrun by foreign troops before my confederates can come to my help. The king was right. Germany would never be secure so long as Strasbourg was French but can France ever be secure so long as Metz is German? The demand for Metz was based purely on military considerations. It was supported on the theory, which we have already learned, that Germany could never take the offensive in a war with France and that the possession of Metz would make it impossible, as indeed is the case, for France to attack Germany. It was not, however, Bismarck's practice to subordinate political considerations to military. It may be said that France would never acquiesce in the loss of either province, but while we can imagine a generation of Frenchmen arising who would learn to recognize the watersheds of the Vosges as a permanent boundary between the two nations, it is difficult to believe that the time will ever come when a single Frenchman will regard with contentment the presence of the germans on the upper moselle even after the preliminaries of peace were settled fresh difficulties arose the outbreak of the commune in paris made it impossible for the french to fulfill the arrangements bismarck who did not trust the french treated them with much severity and more than once he threatened again to begin hostilities at last, Favre asked for a fresh interview. The two statesmen met at Frankfurt, and then the final treaty of peace was signed. End of section 24